These are crazy times for white guys. We are not the most popular people on the planet. Doesn't matter if you grew up rich or poor, in a city, small town, suburbs. If you're a white dude, you know what I'm talking about. We've got some work to do. This podcast is about white guys who are breaking the mold. And they're doing things that are causing a whole new kind of happiness for everybody. I'm John Poor. In today's episode, our new white guy is Jeff Ewelt. I heard about Jeff, the head of Zoo Montana, in June this year, when local, regional, and national news outlets were covering a story about his zoo in Billings, Montana. Like many zoos, Zoo Montana has gathering space that groups can rent out for a variety of things, like weddings and parties. Well, Zoo Montana was rented out by the group 406 Pride for an event that's regularly held during Gay Pride Month all over the country called Drag Queen Story Hour. Drag Queen Story Hours provide an enjoyable experience that celebrate diversity and encourage kids to look beyond gender stereotypes and appreciate difference. But because it was hosting this event, the zoo started receiving significant backlash from members of the Christian right, a U.S. senator, and a congressional representative. I was really impressed with Jeff's story because when confronted with this big backlash, he and his organization chose to take a very clear stand. Here's a quote that I read from Jeff. While personal threats and threats of no longer supporting the zoo are concerning, we will not let unwarranted fear and hate deter our decision to move forward with this harmless and fun reading event that is held throughout the country. At the end of the day, if your personal agenda does not fit this event, we simply ask that you do not come to the zoo that day. It would be a shame to never allow your children back to the zoo because of one simple event. Happy Pride Month. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Wow. That's really, uh, it's really a, a courageous uh, stand that you took and obviously very inconvenient uh, for, for you and, and uh not necessarily a fun thing to do, but something that you obviously felt very moved to do. And when I heard the story and, and read about what you were up to, I knew I wanted to reach out to you and just find out about more about who you are and um, maybe your younger years and, and the things that may have led up to you um, and your organization taking the stand. Well, well, thank you, first of all. And, and, and I love the, that you use the word inconvenient. That that uh, uh, look into this this last couple months that I had never thought of using that word, um, but you're right. It 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 was inconvenient, and I think that's what angered me so much about this whole situation, which we'll we'll delve into obviously as as we talk here. But again, thank you for having me on, and um, I'm honored yeah. to be here. You know, I I've I've had a, a very privileged life, you know, and. I'm going to be quite quite upfront that this event um, with with the Drag Queen Story Hour and the LGBT community really opened up my eyes to how much white privilege I really have. Shame on me that it took something like this and something to be so ingrained for me to realize that, but it did. And here I am, an eye-opener is, is just the, the top of the surface. 
So I grew up uh, in a suburbia lifestyle uh, just outside of Cleveland, Ohio. I was the kid that was in the woods all the time. I think a lot like you, you like to be out in the woods a yeah. lot. I, I was in the creeks catching the crayfish and the minnows and, you know, enjoying the outdoors. And my parents were always fantastic, you know, making sure I was in nature. So that was my life. And I remember very clearly, uh, I was in the sixth grade. I was shadowing a gentleman at a science center. And at the end of the day, after this this great day of, of working around animals, he let me hold a little tiny owl. It was called a sawwet owl. And I put that owl on my hand. And when that owl touched me, something in me changed. And, and I now know that was my passion being born. So I knew that I had to do something with animals for my career. And that launched me into where I'm at today. Um, obviously, we all have struggles along the way, as I did, um, and then just kind of worked my way through the system and finally landed a directing job here at, at Zoo Montana. So um, you were turned on to nature at a young age, and your parents were pretty encouraging of it, and this, this mentor person. Um, I knew other people like you and I who were really connected to nature at a young age, but I'm actually noticing that you take stands for things that, that are not about just animals. They're about all beings. And I'm curious where you might have learned to care about that. Yeah, you know, so I have a lot of empathy. I always have my entire life. Uh, I, I don't I don't exactly know where that comes from. Um, to be blunt, I never had a lot of religion in my life. Um, you know, you and I talked a little bit about, about being spiritual and, and, you know, maybe I'm spiritual in nature and, and nature is spiritual to me. But I've never focused a lot of my life on religion and I never did young and I I have not as an as as an older individual either and I think that has a lot to do with it I, I think unfortunately sometimes religion steers us in the wrong direction and I understand that's controversial I understand that everybody feels that way that's 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 great that's what makes us all different but for myself personally I really believe the lack of religion in my life has helped me see the world in a much bigger scope the lack of religion in your life has helped you see the world in a much bigger scope yeah um, how could that be so one of the things that this drag queen story hour taught me is that people like to hide behind religion and I say that because of the amount of scripture that was sent to me, whether it was through emails, it was given to me on my phone messages, or it was sent old school on a letter. Um, citing the Bible, citing scripture, citing Jesus. And I just, if, if I were one that followed the Bible and truly believed the words of Jesus and God, and, and, and full disclosure, I don't know much about this world, but I, I would have to believe that the Jesus that probably existed wanted to help everybody. And so I just don't understand using scripture and using those words to hide behind because something you don't believe in is wrong. Well, it, it, that just doesn't work for me. And so I got a lot of are you not fearful of God and what will happen to you when your time comes? Because you allowed this drag queen story, this indoctrination of children, you will have to face the consequences. Are you not scared? No, I'm not. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. We'll see. But for now, that doesn't bother me. What bothers me is not letting somebody 
do something they want to do in their life that's important to them because a book that was written how many thousands of years ago might say it's wrong. Does that make sense? That's a, yeah, it's make, it, it does make sense. And I think a lot of us have, especially white men, have been raised in what the church may have told us the guidelines are. However, some of those may have emerged over thousands of years after Christ was alive. And it's something that I've wondered about myself was actually what would Jesus have done in this setting? The Jesus that, that, that you and I are talking about, we're surmising that he may have taken the same stand for full inclusion that you all took at the zoo. Is that what you're that, getting? That's, that's where I'm going, exactly. Is You know, we talk about forgiveness and, you know, everybody being equal. That's not really the case in our country right now, as we know. Um, and I just don't think that if if there is a Jesus, there was a Jesus, that this is something that he would be okay with. When I asked you what, what might have led up to you taking this stand for all beings, really, not just frogs and and owls. Um, you were like, actually, one thing that might have led up to this is that I didn't go to church. And I was kind of surprised at first. And then I'm like, it makes total sense. You know, at the time when I took a stance, I legit, and, and I'm not just saying this because it's, it's the quote-unquote right thing to say, but I legit want everybody to have the opportunity to utilize our space safely. And so when I first took this stance, it was simply because I wanted this incredible group of individuals, the entire LGBTQ community, to have a safe space to do a, a, an event that was important to them and to their constituents. And so that would, that's what drove me to take the stance that I did. But as I started hearing all of the backlash and the downright just cruel things that we were being told that, you know, about myself and my family, um, hearing the use of religion to, you know, to warrant their anger really bothered me and really affected me. One thing that stands out as I listen to you is that you you decided that you were going to create a safe space for for these folks to be and to do what they wanted to do and as a you talked about your privilege earlier and how much you you realized i have so much you said white privilege um and i would add white male privilege for both of us right and so what did you notice about this for you so for me, it was all the negativity that I personally received. It affected me emotionally. I mean, I came home, and I'm not afraid to admit I came home. I'm going to get emotional today. I came home upset with my with my wife, not at her, but just in the situation. Excuse me. Take your time. Right. This is oh, heavy. Cow. This is heavy stuff. Ooh. But the hate that I was receiving. I kept thinking back to all those individuals, the 2,000 plus individuals that came to the zoo that day, they feel that every single day of their life. So not just those individuals, but if you're black, if you're Muslim, uh, if you're different than the typical white male, you feel that every single day. I couldn't handle it for a month. I can't imagine handling it for a lifetime, especially 
especially for the younger generation. You know, and I think about the poor kids that are going through school who know they're gay and they can't come out and say that because of fear, uh, because of, of, you know, what their home life is. That is so heartbreaking to me. And so when I saw all of those individuals that came to the zoo, individuals that were that were trans, individuals that were carrying pride flags, they felt like they could be who they are here. That just meant the world to me. And so when I left that day, it made me realize, my God, that white male privilege is so real and so powerful. And I said it to you earlier, shame on me for for having to be the brunt of of it to understand that i should have realized that sooner but i didn't the past is the past but i know now i i want to be able to do what i can to help more and more because it was hard hard isn't even the right word it was draining it was emotional um it was difficult you say you found out for a month what people who are different feel every day of their lives right every day of their lives I, I can't even imagine and it just it's heartbreaking to to me for those kids that don't have an outlet that feel the best way out is suicide we know the rates are are there um that is that it just that that it absolutely kills me yeah the suicide rate in the trans community is like uh it's overwhelming yeah and, and i think for me the, the one of the takeaways was I mean, you'll often hear the other side argue that, that it's a choice. And for me, do you really think people want to go through that torment on purpose? Come on. Yeah, right? Unbelievable. So here you sit. You've got this pretty cool job. For someone who's into animals, it's like, it's a cool job. And, and you could have, I mean, the thing that's kind of interesting for me about this is on this podcast, we talk to, to men who have, who have done something for equity. And in this case, you really did. And you could have not. You could have just been like, we got to keep things safe and secure. And, you know, zoos are not easy to fund. I know this. <laughs> so, so anything that's going to affect fundraising and dollars in, if it were me, I'd be like, well, we got to actually think about that because this could really be bad for all the animals that we're trying to take care of here. And there's a whole thing that this could not go well for. And you could have steered it in that direction, but you didn't. We, we absolutely could have. And, and when, the, when the idea first came to my desk, I, you know, I, knew, I knew it was going to cause a little bit of a, a, a blowback. Um, I, I don't think I expected the blowback that it, that it did cause. However, um, we said absolutely, and and we said that for two reasons. One is we have to know we're on the right side of history here. I hope in 30 years this isn't going to even be a topic of conversation. I'm wishful. That right side of history piece is huge. Number two, we have had evangelical church services here at the zoo. Uh, we have had boxing matches here at the zoo. We have had heavy metal concerts here at the zoo. <laughs> My point being is there's not much that we're going to say no to as long as you're not out there spewing hate. And the reason I say that, when I would contact individuals that were angry, I would tell that to them. And they their first thing that they would say is, would you allow the KKK to come out? And no, we wouldn't because they're spewing hate. 
Drag Queen Story Hour is not a strip show burlesque show like some of our senators and congressmen like to think it is. It is literally an individual reading children's books. It promotes literacy. It promotes imagination. And so that's why we wanted it to move forward because we knew there was going to be a group of individuals in our town um, that felt this was an important venture for not only them, but for their kids as well. So I'm not going to deny them the opportunity just because there's an audience out there that doesn't like it. So you said something like, this matters because we need to be on the on the right side of history here, right? Like that, that's, uh, that's not nothing to say because when we look at history, we can see how it's played out and the disparate outcomes for people who aren't in the dominant white, predominantly Christian culture. Those identifiers create the conditions for us uh, overall to do better in a lot of different ways, right? Housing, jobs, education, healthcare, things that matter in a life if you want everyone to be thriving. You know, when I think on this, in order to make change, you look at history, there have to be select groups of individuals that can make that change. And so I think it's twofold for me. One, white male, it's time that we as a group stand up to things that are wrong in our society. So one, and and I'm not saying that to be a martyr by any means. I'm just one person. I think we need to do that more collectively. And two, as an organization and as a business, um, you know, as more businesses stand up and understand DEI and understand, you know, the needs of other groups that may not fit that classic, you know, privilege group, it's time we stand up as organizations. And, And if there was one thing I was disappointed with throughout this whole thing, it's the fact that we didn't have more businesses that stood up and publicly said, we stand with Zoo Montana. The Chamber of Commerce did. We had a few organizations that did, only a couple, but most of the support that we received was behind the scenes. And we did have several, quite a few, honestly, organizations that were concerned. And that disappointed me because these are the times that you stand up. Who cares if you're going to lose a couple customers? Stand up and do the right thing. And we know we're going to lose customers. We're going to lose memberships. And that's that's huge for a nonprofit organization such as ourselves. But you know what? Those 2,000 people that came here, they're going to forever love the zoo. And they had a great day. That's more important to me than a couple lost customers. Overall, it sounds like you're glad you did what you did. And then secondly, in retrospect, you felt this too, is like, where's everybody else? I know there's more businesses who who must care about this, but they're not breaking the door down here to say, hey, we got your back. Yeah, it, and the reason that was so disappointing is just for that alone, but several of the organizations that I expected to come to our defense were in a DEI um course that I did uh, with the Billings Chamber. So they're out there, you know, getting the paper that's saying they are DEI, you know, knowledgeable and and this is a big part of their mission. But when the time came for them to publicly show this, they didn't. That's a problem. Okay. So here you are, you're a white guy, you're in your job, you're, you're in the community of Billings in a pretty public way. 
you go to a diversity, equity, inclusion event, a DEI, and not an event, a course, and you see the other folks who are in there and they're part of organizations too, and they're learning about oppression and how it plays out and how to make more inclusive environments and build inclusive communities. And this would have been the time, the place where you were hoping to feel that and you're like, I, I actually didn't. No, I was alone. I was out in a desert. That said, there were there were a couple of organizations that did publicly, and interestingly enough, the zoo community rallied behind us and did yeah, publicly yeah. put out some some great things. But yeah, locally, we just didn't get much of it, and that was uh, that was disappointing. Now that you you did sound out about this, how did it feel? How does it feel to be someone who took a stand? <laughs> That's a great question because. By no way, shape, or form did I go into this trying to be a, a martyr. You know, I, I don't want to be the guy with, you know, that's that, <laughs> that you know, people are like, man, that that's the guy that did that. I, I have no interest in that. I literally just wanted to provide a good, fun space for this incredible group of individuals that called the state of Montana home. Um, so at the end of the day, how do I feel? I feel like we put on an amazing event. I don't feel special. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I did the right thing. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of us for standing strong. Would I do it again? I, yeah, I, I say that shakingly because I, going through, you know, the hate that we did, I, I can't imagine that again. But the point is, yes. Um, but do I feel like a hero? No, I don't want to be a hero. I just want to be a, a an individual and an organization that did the right thing, and gave a great space to a great group of individuals. Do you have any advice for other white guys who maybe they're on the fence? Maybe they haven't gotten in the game quite like you have. What would you say to them? Do it. You know, be a voice. We we have the great opportunity to do this. And, and as white males, sadly, people listen. Uh, you know, and and this is our opportunity to stand tall and and help other individuals, as you said, that are, that are oppressed. Help them have a voice. And yeah, you'll get some blowback, but you know what? I'm moving on. The zoo's moving on. Why shouldn't you help people that need help? I guess that's my my best advice. You've got an incredible opportunity that not everybody in this country, in this world have. Use it for good. Thank you. Those are wonderful words. I really appreciate you taking time today to, to visit with me. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. So we've reached the end of this new White Guy episode. If you like what you heard, tell a friend and subscribe. To find out more about us, things you can do, ways to connect with other new white guys, check out our website at thenewwhiteguy.com. If this was your first step towards being a new white guy, we hope it's the first of many. We have to know we're on the right side of history here. I hope in 30 years this isn't going to even be a topic of conversation. Hey, just want to give a special thanks to the new white guy team who make this podcast happen. Editor Peggy Poor may or may not be related to me, and advisors Patrick Brown and Travis Burdick.